Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from quince. Ooh, mm-hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter toot, or, toot, Kate. or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, If you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello out there and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I'm Kate Spencer. And I'm Dory Shafrier. And we are not experts. No, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Okay. And before we get into it, we would like to encourage you to visit our website, forever35podcast.com for links to anything we talk about on the show. You can follow us on Twitter at forever35pod. Instagram at Forever 35 Podcast. And you can also join the Forever 35 Facebook group where the password is serums. And we also have a newsletter at forever35podcast.com slash newsletter. You can leave us a voicemail or text us at 781-591-0390. And our email is forever35podcast at gmail.com. And we love to hear from you. We truly do. do. So please 
reach out. Drop us and a text. I also, yes, Kate loves getting texts. I, do. I love a text. <laughs> Um, I also just want to mention that tickets are officially on sale for my book launch event, which is called Worth the Wait. I really hope it will be worth the wait. It will be because I'm going to be there. Because Kate, because Kate Spencer will be there along with other special guests such as Jasmine Guillory, mm-hmm. Maureen Gu. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Holmes, uh-huh. Courtney Chusano, Rachel Wilkerson Miller, loving it. Tanya Rapley, Emily Ferris it. will be designing two bespoke cocktail slash mocktails for the event. Glug, glug. I am here for all of this. <laughs> it's going to be great. There's two types of tickets. One of them is free, which gets you access to the live stream. And then there's also a paid ticket that not only gets you, obviously, access to the live stream, but you get access to the after party and a hardcover copy of Thanks for Waiting that is also signed. Hello. Um, and you also will have the opportunity to ask questions during the event um, if you get the paid ticket. So, oh, and also I should mention that the paid ticket, um, the books are being sold by a wonderful local independent bookstore here in LA, Book Soup. Mm. So if you haven't bought a book yet and you want to support an independent bookstore, this is a great way to do that. The books will be mailed out. They, again, they will be signed. So, and you get access to everything um, at the live event. So I hope some of you will take advantage of that. Well, I will. And I like how you promoted the event with like everybody had their topic that they're talking about. And then you said that I would be there to talk to you about whatever it is we talk about, <laughs> which really makes me laugh. I mean, what do we talk about? Kate? <sighs> I mean, everything. I mean, truly, there's nothing off limits. Although, you know, I have to tell you, I've been listening to Busy Phillips's podcast. And recently, she was talking about her butt. And bidets. And I was uh-huh. like, oh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And like, she was getting graphic about her stuff with her butt. And I felt like a kindred, like, butt sister to her. That's and all. You felt like a kindred butt sister to her. <laughs> I feel ken- like kindred butt connections to anyone who talks openly about their butt issues. This is TMI. Is it TMI? No. Kate, you act like we've never talked about your butt on this podcast. That's true. We've talked. I mean, we do declare that butt care is self care quite often. Yes. Okay. Anyway, shout out to Busy Phillips. Well, I'm just. Doing I'm her glad best. Busy is getting on the butt train. She's a big bidet fan. I mean, who isn't? Honestly, do you have a bidet going in your house right now? You know, I had one in my old house, and we have not installed it in the new house. I think I would like to get one. Yeah, I think we just we just need to do. I just haven't done it. Right. But it like requires um, like unless you have a fancy easy. bidet toilet or like your own bidet coming out of the wall, it's like requires you like hooking a little squirter. Yes, it's just like an attachment. And it squirts the toilet water onto your butt? Um no, not not like the toilet not not like the water from the bowl. Okay. <laughs> That'd be weird. Um anyway, How's it going, Kate? 
I don't know. I'm having a little bit of like a shame spiral because I fucked up a plans you and I had. And so I have been like reeling over that. And then like that leads me to shame spiral over like my entire life, which is has been a new thing since kind of like coming to terms with my ADHD. Like what's weird, I think about getting an adult diagnosis of anything then you were, especially I think in terms of like mental health, it's like, then you reflect on your entire life and all these things that have happened over the course of your life that have like brought you pain. You're suddenly able to see with clarity and it's really hard. I don't know if you, you have anything like that. Like, have you ever looked back and you're like, oh my God, all these things and all these feelings and all this like kind of pain and not understanding it was all because of this that I now understand as an adult, but as a teen and a kid and even a young adult, like I, I don't, I just felt a lot of shame. Yeah, there's been some reframing for me around the idea of being sensitive. Mm, go on. Because I feel like a lot of times when I was growing up, it was a lot of like, you're so sensitive. Stop being so sensitive. Like was that something you said to yourself I, or your family? No, 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 or? no. Something that people said to me, mm-hmm. um, and that my reactions to things were like overly sensitive, and I was, you know, too sensitive, and it was like very much framed as a pejorative. Yeah, you know, something that I needed to change. And now, as a grown up, I'm like, well, yeah, of course I'm sensitive. You know, like. And that's not a bad thing. Like I feel things. God, yeah, I know. And I why? shouldn't. And I shouldn't apologize for feeling things deeply and like reacting strongly if someone was like making a joke at my expense, or you know what I mean, like not responding well to teasing. It's like, well, yeah, that's mean. Like, why would I be? Why would I be cool with it? Why would I just let that roll off my back? It's also interesting too, because one thing I've been talking about with my kids is like the difference between like loving teasing and Mm -hmm. mean teasing. Mm -hmm. And our family, like in the family I grew up in, like there was a, there's a lot of like loving teasing, but there is a fine line. And also sometimes that just because it's done out of love doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Totally. Feelings. Yeah. And also like, if someone is telling you like what mm-hmm. you may think you're doing this in a loving way, but the way I am responding to this is not positively, then like you should stop. It's impact, not intent. Exactly. Yes. It's impact, not intent. Yeah. I mean, I think about so, that with like know. all, all actions. I, that's, yes. that's a thing I have in my head a lot, but yeah. So I, that's something, Something I've been kind of like wallowing in. Anytime I fuck some, I mess something up. Like I double scheduled myself with like you and me, you and me, you and I, and our friend had made tentative plans. And then I made plans with my daughter. And then I like got home last night and I was like, Oh my God, like I can't, I have too many things going on on this day. And then anytime I do something that is like a symptom of how my brain works, I then reflect on like decades. I don't know how to describe mm. it, but it's, it's, it's probably part of the process, but it's also like kind of emotionally challenging. <laughs> like mm. it's kind of upsetting. And, um, 
and I have to, you know, and like, ups- I feel like I was misdiagnosed when I was a teenager. And so I just have a lot of like, I have a lot of shit I have to work out, which is really good that my intention was to make an appointment with my therapist because I did that. So nice. I'm be calling her up for some, uh, for some talk. Nice. Yeah. And in other news, my friend gifted me a tarot deck and I'm very excited to take that out for Ooh. a spin. That's, that's mean, like a night, like, I think you're, I think you're tarot, I think your tarot is supposed, is, is supposed to be gifted to you, right? I think the idea, like, obviously one can buy themselves a, their own tarot deck, yes. but I think there is like some sort of like special meaning when it is gifted to you. And I have to say it was, it was a gift like that she gave me and thank you for helping her and her husband when their son was born. And, um, it just felt like very meaningful. I got very emotional. It was very kind of her. And um, it's really beautiful. Like I think, and so I feel like the um, intent of the present is like weighted in the deck of cards, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So I've really been enjoying, enjoying just like tootling around with them. Oh, now before I, before I shift focus to you, I did want to shout out that there is a Forever 35 ADHD Facebook group that I've recently joined, and I'm learning a lot in it. So I wanted to just mention that for anybody else who might benefit from such a community. Oh, that's so nice. I mean, the people who are listen getting... to this pod, they're the best. <laughs> they are the best. They are truly the best. So, Dory, it's been I was going to start singing. It's been seven, seven hours and 16 days, but it's been two years since you took your love away from me. No, since you went on a family vacation. Yeah, it's been about a year and a half. The last time we went on a family trip was December 2019. Your, wait, your son was not even walking. He was like a little eight baby. Months old. He was eight months old. Um, we went to New York. That was great. But like little did we know that we would not be going anywhere for <laughs> a year and a half. <laughs> um, so we're we're just going away for the weekend. It's like not even it's really like not even 48 hours. It's gonna be like a day and a half. Um and we're driving, so it's not it's not like we're getting on a plane, but um yeah. By the time this airs, I will be back. So great. We'll we'll like know how it will have gone. Um, but yeah, you know, there's just there's just a lot of logistics involved when there's a child. So mm-hmm. I have this like massive packing list for him because he's also in a phase where you know he's very he's very used to his structure and his routines, and so I'm a little nervous about how this is all going to go when he's in a different place. So I'm trying to remember to bring like his bunny and his bath towel. You know what I mean? Like all the little things that he's just like used to. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we'll see. He's going to be sleeping in a pack and play, which could be a disaster, but might go okay. (laughs) Yeah. Or it could be fine. Or it could be fine. Exactly. Here's so, a question. We'll what have you yes. planned for yourself in terms of things that you are bringing to provide yourself with relaxation and care, Dory? What are you going to – is that at all a focus for you? And if not, let's make it work. You know, Kate, I, I kind of 
ascribe to this notion that there's no such thing as a vacation with like little kids. Mm-hmm. It's a trip. Mm-hmm. So I will bring my Kindle. I'm not expecting to really like relax on this trip. But I am looking forward to having some quality family time. Mm. So there's my answer. Um, But yeah, it's a good answer. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I'm a little... I'm a little nervous. My, I think my husband is also nervous. My husband is also a person who he gets very nervous, around, like before unfamiliar things. So, like we're going somewhere that we've never gone before. It's just like he's. I think he's a little like anxious about it, and so I'm trying not to let that anxiety kind of rub off on me. Oof. That's hard. Okay. <laughs> I mean, but I he's also the type. He's also the type of person where like he'll be super anxious before a trip, and then like I would say s- this has happened seventy five percent of the times that we've gone away to new places. He comes back and he's like, like, well, okay, now we now we go to this place. Like now this is our mm. place. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like he's he'll 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 embrace it once he experiences it. But but prior to experiencing it, he's kind of like. Ooh. Why do you think that is? That's so interesting. I think that I think it's control. Mm. You know, if he's going to a familiar environment, a place that he's been before, it's like he knows what to expect. Yeah, yeah. And he also is someone who really likes to be prepared and like know what to do, and I think when you're going to an unfamiliar place, you don't have that. I get that. That's my it's interesting though. You you don't you you don't ever feel that way to me. No, I don't. And like, I do have issues with control, but this is not one of them. Is there a single person who doesn't have con- issues with control? Like, is like, I mean, I'm sure it's like a fully awoken person spiritually or something, but like how can we not how can we not have problems with like everyone has some sort of control thing right you know it's true and and it's and it's like another another thing similar to like being highly sensitive is i feel like people calling other people control freaks mm-hmm. like you're right it's like who who wants to feel like they're totally out of control no one no one it's like it all manifests in our in in its own way and i will just also point out that a lot of times these labels are affixed to women mm-hmm. do you hear uh cis men called control freaks often i could be wrong dory could be wrong not as definitely not as much definitely not as much so just saying yeah Yep, 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 yep. So. Um, Kate, was there anything else you wanted to share with our listeners? Okay, I mean, heads up, this is about bugs, but 
I did find two roaches in my house. Well, one in my house and one in my office. Yeah, I'm not excited about it. And I am having an exterminator come because I am, I'm not like phobic about bugs, but roaches, I am. I'm like fully, it's. I hate roaches. I really like, there was one, a dead one. It was dead. I don't know if it got like dragged in or the, it was someone stepped on it, but it was dead in my like kitchen area. And just removing it, I was having like a physical pan, like reaction that was very overwhelming. And then like an hour later, I was sitting working and there was like another tinier one walking by me. And I grabbed my Louise Penny book and I threw it on the roach. And then I left it there overnight because I couldn't deal with it. And then today I finally did, but I had to, I took the cover off and I threw it away. Like I could, I, I mean, it was disgusting, but I can't, I truly like, this is not, uh, this is not something I am chill about. That's all. I'm not chill about a roach. No, I'm chill about a cricket, a bee, a wasp, even a big beetle I can handle. Spiders, I have no problems with. It is roaches that really fucking freak me out. And so I'm, uh, yeah. And, you know, I should say, like, not that I enjoy subscribing to gender roles, but I do like having my husband around because he is not afraid of them and will just kill them or get rid of them. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, he is mm-hmm. gone for two months. And so it's on me, Dory. It's on me Ooh. and Louise Penny. You and Louise. Me and Inspector Gamache. <laughs> it's kind of fun to kill a roach with a uh, mystery book about about murders. It feels somehow apropos. You know, felt like it fit. Anyway, that's where I'm at. Should we, should we tell our listeners about our lovely guest this week? Yes, we should. So we are going to be speaking with Georgia Clark, who is a novelist and a performer. She is the author of the new romantic comedy book, It Had to Be You, as well as The Regulars and The Bucket List and others. And she is the host and founder of a really wonderful, very popular storytelling night called Generation Women, which is just fantastic. And she's a native Australian. She lives in Brooklyn with her wife and, as she likes to say, a fridge full of cheese, which she tells us about in great detail i mean to be fair we asked her i don't think she was expecting us to really like hone in on that specific detail but you know dory's a journalist what (laughs) dory's like what specific kinds of cheese look when someone talks about a cheese plate i'm like a dog with a bone okay i'm like a i'm like a woman with a cheese plate yes i love look i love a cheese plate you know what I, I had for I really, dinner last I night? I really oh, did want to know, like, wh- which store she, she I know, like, are you I buying Murray's? Like, is it a cowgirl yeah. creamery? <laughs> What's happening here? A brand we don't know? Trader Joe's? Like, we could probably move on. <laughs> I mean, I would love, like, could we talk to a, fromma- as a, a fromagier? Oh, my gosh. I just thought of a great idea for a podcast. A cheesemonger podcast? Yes, a cheese podcast. There has to already be a cheese podcast. I'm sure there is. But But I would love a cheesemonger guest to just like walk us through cheese. Yes. Yes. I had, Dory, what I would argue is the best sandwich for dinner last night, which is like a nice 
thick white bread, mayonnaise, which I know some people don't like, a sharp cheddar, and then fresh tomatoes with salt and pepper. Ooh, yum. That's my favorite sandwich. Okay, Kate, there was in 2018, there was one season of a podcast called Behind the Rind. Oh, I love that title. The Story and Science of Cheese. And they said that season two was in the works, but that looks like that was quite some time ago. Um, There was also, oh, there is a, a currently updating podcast called A Slice of Cheese. Okay, okay. Where Jenny Linford, food writer and heroine of the cheese world, after her essay on the plight of the UK cheesemaker in COVID went viral, talks all things cheese. Cheese foods that go with cheese, cheese pairings, and more. Wow. Okay. I think I might need to listen to this up. We need to have this person on as a guest. Yes. A British female cheesemonger talking about all things cheese on a podcast. Wow. Count us in. Seriously. Have wow, you ever okay. had Cooper cheese, Dory? Have you heard I of Cooper think cheese? So. Okay, so my favorite kind of cheese is American cheese. <laughs> don't oh, judge me, Dory. Okay. Dory. I All love right. American cheese. I love it so much. Okay, but Cooper sure. cheese is like American adjacent cheese and it's it's very good. Mm-hmm. I love like a sliced processed cheese for my bread. Hey, look, to each their own. I mean, I also love like a nice cheese, but American, American on a burger, a, ch- a grilled cheese with only American cheese. That's the yes, ticket. That I'm, that I'm with you on. I'm fully with you on that. Okay. Well, listen, I, I would love to keep exploring cheese. Anyway, this is, we get started with Georgia and we talk to her about cheese and many other things. So indeed. All right. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back. 
Yes. Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be redefining feminism with Gloria Steinem. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation with Chris Voss or think like a boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe capture your vision through photography with Petra Collins, Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer. It's happening so fast. It is. And I feel like also with summer just come more social events, there's weddings, there's nights out, it's vacations. I mean, like all the things happening in summer. And what I love is that Honey Love has just the right thing for all those events. Feel comfortable and confident this summer with Honey Love's best-selling Superpower Short. The Superpower Short smooth shapes and lifts, giving you a flawless silhouette under any outfit with targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. Speaking of working with your bod, the crossover bra, which I'm wearing as we speak. I wear that thing every day. I do too. Uh, It's my favorite Honey Love piece. Let me let me just tell you why. Yeah, get okay, into it. Okay, do you want to tell me why? <laughs> no, no, I was just going to say like I I I don't even need to wear it to events. I wear it like the event is every day of my life. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. The bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires and just like sidebar, I have put on some of my old underwire bras lately and been like, "Oh god, like get this off of me." <laughs> No, thank once you. you. Once you start wearing Honey Love, you're just like, no, not yep. going back. You see also, how it like, could be. Yes. Also, like summer sweat under those underwires is like, ugh, the worst. Now you don't have to worry about it. Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. Yeah. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. 
So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from Quince. Ooh, mm-hmm. okay. It, it, like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking, I, I'm going to toot my own horn, effortlessly chic, whether it's winter toot, or, toot, Kate. or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Our guest today is Georgia Clark, and I want to just note that I have known Georgia for many years, over a decade, because I had the privilege of being her improv comedy teacher in the year 2009 we've established. 11 years ago? That's crazy. And Georgia was very funny. And so whenever I think of you, I think of you as a comedian and you were a writer all the way back then as well. I don't think you had, I think you had written YA, but not your first adult novel. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So I, I just want to clarify that like we go way back, everybody. Kate wow. Was an amazing teacher. <laughs> really very nice, Georgia. <laughs> fed my love slash obsession with improv. Well, look, we don't, we won't, we can dork out privately about improv because I just realized I want to ask you all these questions about how comedy influences your writing, but that's not why we're here necessarily. We're here to talk about self-care and you and how you care for yourself and others. And so let's just first kick things off with learning about a self-care practice in your own life. Is there something that is a regular, consistent practice for you that provides self-care for you? I do have a regular self-care practice. Every night at around six or seven cocktail hour time, I have a solo cheese plate, tiny cheese plate, and a glass of wine. And my wife knows it is my time to be alone (laughs) and enjoy a small plate of soft and hard cheese, a pickle, uh, maybe a little fig jam, and I will have my glass of wine, maybe a little bit of good California weed, which is legal now here in New York City. And I'll just enjoy myself. Okay, this is amazing. And this is not something you'd include your wife in, ever. She knows it's my time. It's your time. <laughs> is this something you've done for a while? Is this a pandemic practice? How And how did how did you get started kind of establishing this special ritual for yourself? I actually started doing this as a teenager. So I would study in the day, 
coming up to my finals, we call it the HSC. You guys call it the SAT. And I would work very hard and study. And then I would have a glass of beer. I was on a long leash, my family, and a little plate of chips and watch whatever was on at six o'clock. Friends or a Seinfeld or MASH because Australia is inundated with American culture, which I loved, but probably one here. And it was just part of how I would study and then reward myself. And I've never really gotten out of that habit. I, I did in my 20s and 30s when I was a little wilder. But now as I'm sort of settling down into more of a kind of calmer life, my little cheese plate practices back. Okay. Tell me about your cheese plate because as someone who really enjoys putting together a cheese plate, I would like to know what is on your cheese plate. Yes. Same. And is there like a cracker companion that goes along with the cheese? Yeah, do you do fruit? Do you do nuts? Do you have spreads? Do you do honey? What like kind of cheese? Are tell you a cheese expert everything. at this point? Yeah. I'm, this is amazing. We haven't had cheese as self-care yet and I'm here for it. Cheese is definitely self-care. I know there's other cheese listeners who I connecting with right now. I'm speaking their truth. I'm happy to be here for you. I always will have a soft cheese, always will have a brie. So if I'm in a rush, it's just a couple of bickies, which is how we call crackers. And look, I'll, I'll have a laughing cow. It's mm-hmm. not a, the most fancy cheese. It's a basic cream cheese, but I love it. Uh, I would love to have a little aged Gouda in there if I was you know, really going for it. Pickles. That's something I've really embraced from being in New York City. Big jam, mustard, maybe some almonds. It depends on how crazy I want to go. Usually it's mm-hmm, very simple mm-hmm. and small, but if I'm really treating myself, it can blow out. Do you wow. ever have like a, a cut meat? Like a, a I'm veggie. Oh, you're vegetarian. Okay. So I like yeah. this. This is a vegetarian cheese plate. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any, are there any like special brands or things that you want to recommend that you put on your cheese plate that listeners might be interested in procuring for themselves? If you haven't tried a chutney, I would recommend it. It's very nice to have on a cheese plate. It's more of a British thing, you know, like a cheese and chutney sandwich. They make really good ones at Pret in London. It's always my first stop. Uh, But I would I would say try a chutney, try a fig jam. It's all mm-hmm. about the textures and the flavors and having a nice combination of all of them. You're really speaking my language. Thank you for indulging us. I, yeah, about your I, cheese plate. I love, I love this so much. Well, you know, it also kind of, and I don't know, Georgia, if this is even something that you consider, but for me, like one thing that often is so taken out of the conversation about food is is how like. Like it's either like we food is either like our fuel or we have food for fun, but never just like this, the pleasurable ritual of eating kind of removed from conversations of like diet culture and and nutrition, like just the, the textures and the sitting down with it. Like, do you look at your phone while you're eating this cheese plate or do you just kind of zone out and take a a mental break? Usually what I do is I, it's kind of involved with my writing practice as well. I'll have a TV show on. I'm rewatching Shit's Creek. Mm. Obviously, it's a show that demands a rewatch. 
And then I will be tip-tapping away at my work. So I'll sort of relax, relax into having a sip of wine, a little bit of cheese. And then I try and just let my imagination and I've got my show on, wander back to what I've been working on that day in a state of um, open curiosity as opposed to, oh, I guess I better edit. And then I'll just sort of like tiptoe my way back into whatever my chapter was and then start reading and making notes. And I'll sort of go in and out of it all night. Um, I think one thing that I realized about writing is so many people when I would, I would always ask my question, my standard question that I always like to ask writers is what's the most enjoyable part about it for you? Like, what do you enjoy most out of the whole process? And I would ask that question at so many writers events. And so often the answer would be nothing. I don't like anything about it, which would always surprise me because I really do find so much pleasure in it. I will say now I've been doing it for a while. So I think my talent and my tastes are starting to become more aligned, which just takes, you know, your 10,000 hours to get into it. But usually like that's the, the cheese plate and the wine is like a gateway into doing, getting back into the work and, and reading and making notes and editing. Like I'll, I'll draft in the day and then I'll sort of pick away at it at night and just start to kind of try and try and enjoy it because I, I think you have to enjoy it. Well, I, I want to enjoy it. So you are a mm. nighttime writer as well. Only for editing. Only for editing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Can you can you give our listeners a a quick rundown of what your new book, It Had to Be You, is about? Would love to. Uh, it Had to Be You is my first romantic comedy. Will definitely not be my last because I had so much fun writing it and so much fun putting it out. It interweaves five modern love stories around a mismatched pair of Brooklyn wedding planners. And the premise is... Liv and Elliot Goldenhorn have been a happily married couple for uh, two decades and they have an at-home business in Brooklyn uh, in Love in New York, a wedding planning business, until Elliot dies while visiting his younger blonder girlfriend, Savannah Shipley, and in a twist no one sees coming, Elliot leaves his half of the wedding planning business to Savannah, who didn't know he was married and who shows up in New York from Kentucky with a smile on her face and a potted orchid as a gift, a gift ready to help live, revive this now sort of failing wedding planning business. And so Savannah and Liv both have a love storyline and the other storylines are of the various vendors who work the weddings, the musicians and the caterers and the florists and all braided together in a love actually style um, narrative. And it is very much a romantic comedy uh, and I, I just had such a ball writing it and I, and it's, um, very sweet and heartfelt and sexy and warm hearted and hopefully all the things that you want out of a rom-com. Georgia, how has your own love life influenced, I guess, specifically this book and, and how you write about love and romance? I mean, it, it, so much of myself and my relationships like my, I'm married. So my marriage and my history has been poured into these pages. I wrote the book over getting married. So I got married in 2018, in the fall of 2018. I asked my then girlfriend, now wife to marry me. She said, yes. And we've been together for five years. And then we got married in 2019, which is when I was writing the whole book. So 
everything that the main characters are learning about wedding planning and thinking about wedding planning, I was learning about it and really thinking kind of deeply about what is a wedding? Why do we have them? What are my expectations about what this relationship will be? How is that? How have they changed? Um, because in this story, and it had to be you, all of the couples are kind of grappling with tradition versus modernity, like their own versions of that, which is, I think, what everyone is grappling with in a wedding planning situation. You know, do I want to wear a white dress? Do I want to wear a white dress because that's what everyone else has done in the past? Or do I actually want to wear one? Well, hey, why do we wear white dresses anyway? Like there's just so much going on there. So certainly a lot of like what I was going through, like actually at the time, weddings and wedding planning, which is, you know, no joke. But I've really started to enjoy pouring more of myself and my kind of secret hopes and fears into the work. And I never... I just didn't sort of in some way like realize that would make it better or I, or I think what, what happens with a lot of people is you sort of, you, you're living your own life and you're like, it's not that interesting. You know, I'm just doing my thing because it's your everyday is so normal to you, but it's not normal to everyone else. And we're also mm. fascinated by how we live our lives and we want to understand. And, you know, your pod does an amazing job at this, like of peeling back, like all of these like different eccentricities and quirks that we have when it comes to everything about how we live our lives. So I feel like I'm definitely putting more of my feelings about love and, and my, you know, own dating disasters and things like that have been woven into the DNA of this. And I think like every novel I write, it's been really satisfying to be, to make the writing more personal. It's so interesting what you're talking about, um, you know, people kind of not realizing that their own stories are actually really interesting and compelling. Um, and you have a storytelling show that is intergenerational and, you know, listening to you know, listening to your show, watching your show, you really highlight this idea that people's individual stories are so fascinating and that we all have this kind of trove of stories that we just accept as like our own personal histories. And we don't realize that they're so interesting to other people. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about kind of what do you think the average person can gain from telling their story and how should they how can they kind of go about doing that? Mm, that's such a great question. Wow. Yes, my storytelling night is Generation Women. We invite a woman or non-binary performer in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s plus to tell an original story on a theme. We've been around since 2017 as a monthly show. We obviously had um, virtual shows over the course of the pandemic. But after that, we're back to live shows. Thank God. And... From doing the show for all of those years, we've had some high-profile people do the show. We've had some kind of like low-key celebrities. But I will say the most impactful stories generally come from um, less public people because generally those performers are more open in being really truthful and kind of telling their story. And what I think that our audience is looking for and what people really respond to is vulnerability, emotional honesty, and 
like a constant theme and you know you really see it especially as you get through the the decades is this sense of resilience you know we are so resilient as people i believe everyone kind of has the capacity in them to get through enormous change and like change that they seek themselves and put themselves into you know new positions or 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 like leaving a marriage or something like that and then change that's of course forced upon you that you have no control over but the the way in which we survive and persist and i think those sort of stories are the ones that i love and that and it, often it's it is things like you know maybe a divorce or something like that it's not nothing kind of um once in a lifetime like once in a generation it's these are our stories these is what happens to a lot of people but being able to hear that someone else is struggling getting to get through something and that they got out on the other side and they grew and they changed. Like we need stories of hope. I think that's kind of what people are really looking for as well as just the nitty gritty of how people really think and really feel and really parent and really date because we are so used to, you know, we, we are sort of moving past this like perfect filtered Instagram culture. We're, we're talking a lot more openly, I think these days about, our you know hearts and minds but there's like i think that at a storytelling show people are looking to other human beings to just answer the very simple question of like how are you living your life how are you doing it because i don't know if i'm doing it the right way and when you hear that we're all <laughs> bumbling through and we all sort of you know come in and out of imposter syndrome and we all like you know are, are really just making it up as we go along it's so comforting it's just so comforting to know that we're all so much more the same than we are different so i think that's and the you know the benefit of telling your story is you can elevate your experience to the you know like the the respect that it deserves the that you know your your life is fascinating and and i love giving perform as a platform to talk about whatever they want to tell, whatever their story is, um, to sort of step into their own power. Like my favorite thing about the show is how good it makes the performance feel. Like they, no one gets off that stage with anything other than like a huge smile on their face. And like, that was so fun. Like that was amazing. And it just feels so great, especially for older people because no one's knocking on their door being like, come and stand on a stage and tell your story. Like, except for us. Like I know and I'm friends with now is so many like 70 something women in New York. Like I've got a million of them. Like I can tell you who the sassy broads are and they're amazing. Uh, so that's, I think that's what people are looking for. And that's what the show celebrates. Okay. Well, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it, and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad, they're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory. Mm, okay, which is okay, I know. visible on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, OneSkin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like 
crappiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel, I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, Mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their Mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here Mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving. That sun is coming at us at all times. One Skin believes the purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Okay, we're back. Do you feel like, you know, it's interesting just thinking about the idea of a storytelling show in which you're speaking authentically in front of a group of people. But I do think there, on a smaller scale, just the ability to speak authentically out loud about our wants, our needs, our lives is so powerful and so scary. And it really is like telling our own story and sharing our authentic truths. I realize these are all like self-help buzzwords, but I, <laughs> but I also truly believe in them. But there's something really empowering about that. Um, and, and it seems like a form of self-care to me, right? Like mm. s- being honest with your own story. I'm, I'm curious if it's been, I don't want to use the word therapeutic, but has there been some healing in it for you in... And maybe has it influenced, you know, other parts of your life getting to like standing up and speaking on a regular basis and speaking truthfully about, like you said, how you're bumbling through? Definitely. I mean, it's been so good. It's really been a reframe of the narrative uh, for aging. It's nothing will make you feel just more present and grounded into the life that you're living right now than being around people that are like significantly older than you as well as being like younger than you like the the true multi like generational nature of it is incredibly powerful i was i remember being backstage once with 
a group of older women and and I was just doing that thing where you're like looking in the mirror at your wrinkles and you're like, oh gosh, look at this new wrinkle. And they just all looked at me like, oh honey, like you have no idea what you're in store for. Like it's not about a couple of wrinkles around your eyes. Like your entire body is going to change. And I'm like, good note. We'll never make that mistake again. Um, good note. Good note. But yeah, like I'm definitely through, because I tell a story every month as well. And like I have through the act of doing that come to process so many things and realize like, Oh, that actually, I, I told a story about how I accidentally signed up for a month of hot yoga. I thought it was um, regular <laughs> yoga. And then like, after I'd handed my credit card over, they're like, Oh, have you done hot yoga before? I'm like, I'm sorry, what? And uh, I was like, Oh, that's okay. I'll do a month of hot yoga. And the, my mother has always told me, that I'm not very robust. That's one of her kind of catchphrases about me. I'm not very robust. Georgia, she's just not very robust. And I'd always internalize that and be like, not very robust. Like, you know, find me, like curl up on the couch with a cup of tea in my like spindly hand or whatever. And it was only after I started dating my wife that she was like, you're, you're not not robust. You're just lazy. And I was like, interesting reframe. Uh, and then after doing a month of hot yoga, I got so jacked and was super fit. I still do it now. And I really was like, I don't think that's true. I don't think I'm not robust. <laughs> like, I think that's just something my mother has always told me. And it was only through kind of telling that story that I was sort of figuring that out. So it's been, I, I think writing is so amazing for that. I mean, you guys must experience this as well. Like you're not just telling your story, but you're processing your story and finding new layers of meaning. And then you're also working out how to tell the story to an audience. So firstly, you're telling it to yourself in a new way, and then you're telling it to an audience. Do you feel that? Yeah, it's a mind fuck in a lot of ways. And it's, and I, I do think writing can be such, like I just bought a new journal as Dory heard earlier today, but writing just for yourself in terms of pro, like reprocessing or relearning what happened to you and figuring out how to share it like you know it doesn't need to be for consumption or for an, for anyone else to read it's such an act it really is an act of self-care in so many ways you know writing out our stories and kind of figuring them out um for and and man i'm rambling but because our lives are so online you know it's everything feels very performative and so just to kind of do do that doing it for yourself it seems really empowering. Also, I think you're robust, Georgia. I mean, and I don't think you're lazy. <laughs> like, but also these, this is how like one thing lazy. someone says to us, one yes. thing it becomes the story we tell ourselves yeah. for decades. And that, and I'm sure your mother meant no harm by it. She but didn't. I love my yeah, mother. I, yeah. I know. I know. I'm like, Oh, what have I said to my kid that they're going <laughs> to fucking hold on to for years? <laughs> But it's interesting the kind of stories we tell ourselves and they and then when we have we disprove our own stories like you did at hot yoga class. Yeah, I I also think because we often define ourselves I I had a best friend in my 20s, my very single 20s, and I had a, you know, like a a best friend that I lived with and we were in a platonic relationship uh because I was single and she was single too. 
And I was the crazy one in that pair. Like I was the one always getting into trouble and doing things where she was like, I don't know if that's a good idea, George. I'm like, no, 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 let's do it. Like we had our kind of roles. Like she was the sensible one and I was like the wild one. And it struck me a few years ago that in my relationship with my wife, that dynamic has been inverted a little bit. She's not wild in terms of like, she wasn't like doing all the stuff I was doing, like shoplifting and whatever. Um, in (laughs) very early twenties. Um, but she's more of the sort of like outgoing, like the one who's going to jump off a cliff. And I'm the one being like, I don't know, baby, if that's a good idea. So we're, we we're changeable. Like we can, we can change and depending on who we're with. And that really interests me as well, because like, as we move through life, there are some things that I think I hold on to myself that's really part of my self-identity. Like I am this kind of person, but I'm also very aware of how mutable we can be and how much we can change depending on our surroundings and who we surround ourselves with. George, it's kind of funny you said that because one thing I feel like I observe of you as a as just like a like a bystander to your life is that you are like you really have your shit together. Do you feel like that's true? I like, you know, you're I think it's because I read your you write a really wonderful newsletter. And I I always read every word. And I just feel like you are on on top of things. You are a person who just knows how to do it and knows how to get stuff done. And I'm curious if you actually feel that way or if you are, as you said, still bumbling. Wow, that's an amazing question. I I definitely don't feel like I'm as bumbling as I was in my 20s and, and sort of in my 30s. I'm 41 now, team 40. Uh, and I I feel like I'm really on top of things in some ways, particularly right now with work. Like this book is my most successful book. I think it's the, it's like the best written book that I've ever written. It's my fifth book. So like, you know, I've been at it for a while, but there are some things in which I just feel like in this extended adolescence, like my wife and I still rent, you know, we're, we, we have not made that leap to home ownership. Um, we're still figuring out fertility stuff. So I'm sometimes I feel like I've got things together and sometimes I feel like I'm just stretching out my thirties well into my forties. Um, but I definitely feel more balanced when it comes to, I used to, I I've been such a, so hungry for creative success for so long, like ever, you know, right out of the gate. It was like, I want to be a writer. I want to be an artist. I want to be this and that. And I, I definitely put all of my eggs in one basket. So whatever creative project I was working on, it was do or die. And often it was completely misguided. Like I'd be entering a competition and I'd be like, if I don't win this competition, I mean, I didn't even, you know, some terrible thing would happen. And then of course I wouldn't win the competition and I'd completely fall apart. And this was like a cycle that went on for many years. I think until I, um, you know, met my wife and became in a relationship and that became a separate thing from work and started to just try and realize, oh, things are better if you spread yourself a little more evenly, because then if one of the tent poles comes down, the whole thing doesn't fall down. It's like, oh, well, maybe I had, you know, like something in work didn't pan out this month or week or year sometimes, but I have good friendships. I have my health. Like I have a good relationship at home. 
you know, I'm, I have a few little hobbies that I do. So it's okay. And that took a long time to get there. Like that was not something I was really thinking about. And it made me desperately unhappy for a really long time. Very driven, very like motivated, but I was just constantly feeling like I was, you know, like a failure. Wow. I mean, a lot of what you said, I just, uh, I just wrote a book about being a late bloomer. So a lot of what you say, um, you know, resonates with me as well. Um, so that's, yeah, it's, it's interesting to think about. And it's also interesting to think about, you know, the ways that we are perceived by others versus how we perceive ourselves. Yeah. Right. It's fascinating. Like I, when I was writing my book, I had a few friends say to me, I never thought of, like, I don't think of you as a late bloomer. Like you, you always have your shit together. And I'm like, really? Because like, that's not how I see myself, you know? So it's just, it's just interesting. Those, those kinds of outside perceptions versus what we're feeling inside. Yeah. And I think we also, we, often think about what we don't have and what we're still working towards yes. as opposed to what we do have. Yes. Um, I like was my wife and I was trying to figure out where home base is going to be if we leave New York city or not. And I obviously, I love New York. I've lived here for 12 years. And, but part of what I'm thinking about as I process this is, I have had an amazing time here. I, I don't know if we're going to move, but like the past decade has been so life-changing. I mean, I fell in love with improv so much and just really got so much pleasure and satisfaction out of like diving headfirst into improv and made friends and, and met my partner and had a great time. And, and I moved here with no visa and no like friends. I didn't know anyone in the city. I didn't have a job. Um, I didn't have a place to stay. And that, is a real accomplishment to, to kind of make that move and build that life. And so many of us have done something like that, like moved away and made a life, but we tend to just, just kind of count that. It's like, that's just living. That's just life. But it's like, no, that's actually a real accomplishment. Like, you know, not everyone does that. And the things that we have accomplished, I think it's harder to just sort of hold them up to the light. It's so much easier to just to be kind of like, because the goalposts are always moving as I'm sure you guys know as well. Like, you know, but even as you're achieving what's on your bucket list, like it's, you're already writing the next one, you know, it's like, oh yeah, that's done. And let me tell you about how, what I haven't done, um, which is a real practice for me to kind of undo that and just sort of just sit and enjoy in what has, has been, you know, that I have done. Yeah. As opposed to what I haven't. <laughs> that's um, yeah. That's such a good point. I want to ask, uh, before we we wrap up, um, I wanted to talk about your kind of cross country travels during this pandemic with your Ooh, wife, yeah, and and possibly like how uh, what you learned about each other, if there were any tough moments, or how it strengthened your relationship. Because I think one thing I I really have been enjoying reading your book is how you you don't make the relationships perfect. Like it feels like imperfection and messiness and knowing it's not always going to be okay and knowing we're always not going to be perfect in relationships feels like a big theme to me. That's what I'm getting out of it. Yes. Um, so I w- I'm wondering just kind of what, what that was like and, and how it impacted your relationship with, with each other. 
Wow. Uh, so yeah, this time last year we were on a road trip and I will say we went with a friend, which was, uh, I, my friend, my very good mutual friend of ours, Isabel Izzy, she suggested to us, we had been, we'd all been in New York over COVID breaking out and had been in lockdown and New York was, it was extremely grim in March, April. The city is coming back to life now. But at the time, I, I just never experienced anything like it. It was full apocalypse. Like the, the streets are empty. There's just, it was insane. And it was very frightening. And uh, then by the end of March, things were starting to loosen up a little bit. And my friend said, I want to go to California. I've got a week off work. I think we should go like right now. And I put it to my, put it to Lindsay and was like, I think we should do this road trip with Isabel. You know, we're never going to get this chance again. We've got to get out of, you've got to get out of town. We've got to get out of Dodge. Um, let's just book a car and go for it. And I think what was interesting actually is she's usually the spontaneous one. Like if there's someone who's going to be like, let's go to this party. Now let's go to this one. Like that's usually Lynn's. And I'm like, mm, can we just stay home and watch Shit's Creek again? Uh, and this was a, like an occasion where those roles were flipped. She kind of was like, oh, I don't know. Like if we have more time, we can plan and we can kind of find the perfect route and we can kind of do all these things and we can like hit all these amazing spots. But, you know, if we go now, it might not be, it's not like she's a perfectionist, but I think she just wanted to maximize the opportunity. But I just said, look, this is, this is an opportunity that's going to pass us by because otherwise Izzy's going to go and I don't drive as well. So, uh, you know, you'll have someone to drive with. And I was so proud of her because she bit the bullet and within three days we had packed up our, like packed up our apartment and we'd not the whole, we didn't leave our apartment, but we packed up our life and we left for nine weeks. So we did like a two week, uh, trip across the country. We stayed with some friends in Montana. We stayed at Lake Tahoe and we sort of, we only had two Airbnbs booked, um, the first two nights. And then we were just making it up as we went along. Then we got to LA and we stayed in LA for seven weeks, just staying at friends' houses who had left the city. So we, and we didn't have anything planned and we were just bouncing around from like empty house to empty house, uh, for, for seven weeks, which was like a, kind of amazing. When I look back on it, I was like, wow, how did we do that for so long? And it was wonderful because it really shook us up out of our routine. I will say like our relationship was probably better in lockdown. Like our relationship is very good, but in lockdown, there was no, Life was just so simple, so, so simple. It was like, you're not doing anything. You're not seeing anyone. There's no FOMO. Nothing's going on. And we're just staying safe and staying at home. And that's what we're doing. And it just was really simple and easy. And I think now as things are starting to open up and we're kind of making our travel plans and just the kind of the, the standard stresses of life are kind of, you know, affecting our um dynamic again not in any kind of like terrible way but I'm just like noticing like oh what was simple then is not so simple now but it was an amazing trip like just to see all of the country and and I and I do like to your point Kate that I think what people like in a rom-com in a romance is when it is a little messier around the edges when the characters aren't perfect when there's not just physical obstacles like we live in different cities or whatever but when there's emotional obstacles because that is just so true for every couple no one meets as these you know fully realized complete perfect human beings with absolutely no 
flaws. And even if you are in a, you know, really great place in your life, everyone is significantly different from their partner in a way that's a fun surprise to learn after you've like gotten out of bed, you know, and you're like, oh, like you're an introvert and I'm an extrovert. Like, okay, we're going to figure this out. And I've never done that before, but we're going to do it now. So uh, I think that's what people relate to. And I'm sure that's true of your romance as well, which I'm so looking forward to reading when it comes out. Get ready. I'll be sure to hit you up for galley. I'll be sending you all sorts of goodies. You know how it goes. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I I have loved getting to read your work and just getting to talk to you today has been so nice. It's been so illuminating getting to chat with you. I'm so glad. I'm so excited to learn that you feel like you don't have your shit together because... <laughs> You know, maybe that's something nobody feels and it's just everything that is perceived, but nothing that any human being actually ever feels like they do. I, I don't think know. that's true. Yeah, Georgia, um, this was so fun. Thank you. Thank you. Georgia, where can our listeners find you uh, on the internet to follow along with all your adventures and your writing? I am online at georgiaclark.com and I'm on Instagram. Georgia Lou Clark is my uh, name there. And I have a monthly newsletter, so you can sign up at georgiaclark.com and it has a lot of writing tips and news and book reading recommendations and lots of fun stuff like that. So I would love to see you there. It's a really good newsletter, I will say. I read it in full. And uh, your new book is It Had to Be You, which is out now. Everyone should grab it and read it and, and feel all the goodness of love. Yes, it's very feel good. <laughs> Thank you, Georgia. All right. Well, that was Georgia. Hope everyone was taking notes during the cheese portion. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not too cheesy of an interview. That was good, Kate. Was it was good. not that good. I was been trying to think of like some uh, good cheese puns to drop here, but I, I'm like drawing a blank. Like cheddar, I barely know her. <laughs> yeah, that's not that great. <laughs> I tried. <laughs> what about... It was a pretty Gouda interview. Oh. Yeah. I mean, that's not bad. It's not bad, but I feel like it's not quite up to my regular standards. Well, and then, like, I'm like, I don't really know a lot of cheeses because I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Like, man, man, Chago, that was a good interview. I mean, these are not good. <laughs> this is not good. No, these are bad. All right, let's move on. <laughs> I don't know. Should we? I could do this all day. All right, let's intent, Dory. You wanted to exercise in some way every day. Yeah, I wanted to just kind of like move my bod. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure that I did this partly because I've reinstated afternoon walks with Henry. I don't Very know if people nice. recall my former habit of taking an afternoon walk with Henry. But I've reinstated it, but they are now quite slow because he has one of those little wooden, like, pull dogs. Do you know what I'm talking oh, about? Dory. And he pulls it on your walk? And he pulls it. And so, like, we'll go out in the stroller, and after a few minutes, he, he like, signals that he wants to get out of the stroller, and he gets his little doggy out of the stroller basket, and, and he has to walk the dog, whose name is Pepe. It's on his little tail. So... He walks Pepe, but as you can probably imagine, this is a rather uh, 
slow journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's just like a nice time to be outside in the sunshine walking around, but it's not that's and that's just like moving. It's just getting outside and like moving. Um, I hesitate to characterize it as exercise per se, but it is very nice and it's nice to spend time with Henry in that way. And yeah. Um, give, give the wooden dog a nice walk. Give the wooden dog a nice walk. And, you know, it it really does charm everyone that we run into. I mean, it's adorable. It's very cute. <laughs> like That's so sweet. And he takes it very seriously. I can't imagine him doing it any other way. He's a very <laughs> focused person. He's got to take he care of that dog. Focused child. And he gets very upset if it's time to go back in the stroller. And like Pepe hasn't pooped yet. <laughs> it's unclear if okay. Pepe has pooped. Um, so so yesterday, kind of wising up to this, I just took him on a very circumscribed walk, like in a in a circle around our block, essentially, so that we wouldn't go on any really busy streets where he would have to go in the stroller. Mm, mm-hmm. And so we just walked back to the house and that seemed to be okay. But that anyway, satisfied him. Okay. More on the adventures of Henry and Pepe to come. <laughs> I, I would read that book. This, <laughs> this week, um, I have a ton of work. Like I'm just like staring down the barrel of a ton of work. And also because I've like, I would like to sort of take this weekend off mm-hmm. to relax, which means that I'm going to come back and just be like slammed. But, I want to just, I'm going to try not to just go into panic mode. That's my, that's my intention for the week. Don't go into panic mode. How can I help you? Is there anything I can do to kind of help lessen the load? No. Thank you, though. I appreciate that. Anytime. Anyway, Kate, how about you? Okay, well, I had to do, I had to like double up and repeat my intention and uh, which was making an appointment with my therapist that is done, which clearly as we've established, I have a lot to talk about with her. So um, I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, and this week, Dory. Okay. Well, like circling back to my executive function issues, I have been trying really to write down like everything I need to do. And in my little notebook, I have house cleanup spots So I would like Mm -hmm. to kind of get going on this house cleanup spot list, which is kitchen counter, bedside Mm -hmm. tables, and then my dresser and my bathroom counter. And I will say like, it's a lot of it is just like covered in skincare products, (laughs) like just covered. Like there's no other way to put it. And I'm going to talk about this further on in another episode because I've kind of come to the realization that like, you know what? I love a lot of prods. I'm not going to be a prod minimalist here. I'm going to be a maximalist, but I need to figure out where to put everything. So there you go. I'm right there with you. So those are the spots that are calling to me. So if I at least get through one, I will feel like I've accomplished this. So I'll check back in in a week. I'm rooting for you. Thank you so much. I need all the support I can get. (laughs) Well, this has been a joy as always. And uh, I look forward to continuing our conversations, Kate. Yeah. I mean, nothing's stopping us now, huh? We've been at this for a while. 
and we're not slowing down. Listeners, uh, this podcast, Forever 35, is hosted and produced by Dory Shafrir and Kate Spencer, and it's produced and edited by Sammy Junio. Sam Reed is our project manager, and our network partner is ACAST, and we look forward to talking to you later. Bye. Bye.